thanks for listening to this Aspen podcast, Medicare's Changing Coverage Criteria for Parental and Endonutrition, sponsored by Quorum CVS Specialty Infusion Services. My name is Jay Murtalo, Clinical Practice Specialist for the American Society for Parental and Endonutrition and Professor Emeritus at the Ohio State University College of Pharmacy. I'm pleased to be interviewing Bill Noyes, Senior Vice President of Reimbursement Policy for the National Home Infusion Association, and Penny Allen, Chair of the Optimum Public Policy Committee and National Director of Nutrition Support for Optimum Infusion Pharmacy. We're going to discuss the Durable Medical Equipment Medical Administration Contractors, that's DME, MAC, MAC, recent announcement that the parental and nutrition local coverage determinations, known as LCDs, will be retired effective November 12, 2020. Over time, Aspen, in cooperation with the National Home Infusion Association, have long been advocating for changes to the outdated durable medical equipment, parental and enteral nutrition, local coverage determinations we're going to be talking about today. So that as an introduction, and I guess that would be when I thought, as this is probably our oh wow moment, we've been uh, looking at the reimbursement issues with this for a long, long time, and uh, now we have them. But with uh, anything that happens, there's change. And so there's a lot of questions that have come up for that. And that's the purpose of our podcast today. So to get started, since we had a history of this bill, can you uh, provide some background or historical perspective to the DME-MAC decision to retire the EN and PNLCD? Sure. And thanks for having me, Jay. There's not a lot of precedent here. This is the first time I'm aware that an LCD has been retired. So there's not a lot to fall back on. And we know there have been issues with um, the coverage criteria that was outlined in these LCDs, and they're outdated. And we're focused on how we move forward with the updated guidance to rely on the NCD for medical and necessary criteria. So we're really focused there. We've got some ideas as to why it was retired. But from a precedent standpoint, really nothing to fall back on there. So it makes sense that we have some questions coming in from our membership and other individuals about what do we do now? Uh, Absolutely. Not, not very many of them had much experience with the NCDs. So Penny, uh, can you explain what the retirement of the LCD means? In other words, how will this change patients or will it change patients access and coverage for home EN and PN? And in particular, what were the major changes in the LCD criteria that were being proposed when we met with the medical directors in July of this year? Thanks, Jay, and thanks for having me as well today. I think that the retirement of the PNLCD, hopefully, I'm being very optimistic, will allow more patients that truly need parenteral and enteral nutrition to be able to have access to it. First and foremost, it's going to end you know, outdated testing, outdated indicators for malnutrition, like using an albumin level. I think it's going to mean the end of costly, outdated testing, like a fecal fat test. So those were things that really sometimes were an obstacle in the way of a doctor being able to make the decision to provide or prescribe the most appropriate nutritional therapy for their patient. So our hope is that although there still are some criteria or nuances to be met with the moving to the NCD, this is going to stop us from having obstacles like a failed tube feeding trial you know, partial obstructions, not being qualified for patients that really are unable to eat or drink for the long term. So I'm hoping for better access. Um, I think the second part of your question was, you know, what did we ask for in July? 
Over the last couple of decades, Aspen and NHIA have gone to CMS a number of times to ask for things to be changed. And it's really historically fallen upon deaf ears. You know, years ago, Aspen asked if the PN and EN criteria could be moved out of prosthetic device benefit so that patients that needed therapy, you know, for a month, two months, less than three months would have access to care. But again, none of that's ever gone through. So when Bill and I met with the medical directors back in July, we took a look at situations A through H in the PN criteria and said, all right, what does the evidence-based medicine say today? What could we ask for so that we can get with the times and be in 2020, not 1984, in terms of what you know, is appropriate to recommend a patient to be on either EN or PN. So we asked for things like the fecal fat test to be thrown out and use something more up-to-date, like perhaps a serum citrulline test. We asked for the failed tube feeding trial to be thrown out for moderate abnormalities, understanding that usually if a patient did have one of these moderate abnormalities, it was either impossible, unsafe, or inappropriate to try a tube feeding trial. Um, So those were just some of the changes. We also asked for situation D, for example, that just the word obstruction be used instead of complete mechanical small bowel obstruction. It was basically the recommendation that patient have a bowel obstruction. So we did an exhaustive, you know, research update. We looked at the medicine as it is today. We got a task force of experts involved and um, presented what we thought was a well-thought-out and well-researched presentation. And quite honestly, I think Bill would agree, at the end of our presentation, the medical directors were very complimentary, very open, and very receptive to what we recommended. You know, I think as you were talking, one of the things that impressed me with that document that we were able to create this spring was really the, the, the evidence that was there that I don't know if we'd had that before, especially with the use of citrulline assessed for bowel function or dysfunction. And I think then they also, the criteria for um, the new AND Aspen criteria for malnutrition, which we've been trying to get a lot of government agencies to change uh, their definitions from serum albumin or weight loss to uh, something that fits uh, into what we have. And I think the evidence for that too, that comes from a lot of our members from Aspen and their committees is the validation that they've been doing with that, that I think may have been some of the parameters that helped us put together a well-referenced evidence-based discussion with regards to how, how we can improve the LCDs. So that also is a background, Bill. Maybe you can elaborate, and you alluded to this previously, about the reason for retiring the PN and EN LCDs. I think we all can say we were a bit surprised. We were hoping to get a positive impact with regards to changing the LCDs, but to get them retired altogether. Can you give us your thoughts with regards to that? Sure. As Penny stated, we had a call with the medical directors back in July of this year and proposed a number of changes I think the medical directors saw validity in many of our requests. And I think that points directly to the language in the announcement they used that it's based on the evolution of nutrition clinical paradigms. And I think we highlighted what those are in that call. So 21st Century Cures Act changed the LCD reconsideration process to make it more transparent, but it's also more lengthy and administratively burdensome on the part of the requester and also the DME Max to research each issue, to research the uh, supporting documentation that you mentioned, Jay. 
And and I think when they looked at their options there, they looked to the NCD, I think, this is just an I think, they looked to the NCD and said, we have the general language that qualifies a patient for coverage here. We don't need all the details that are in the LCD, many of which are outdated. So why don't we rely on that NCD for the reasonable and necessary coverage and create a billing and coding document that takes care of the rest of the details? And, and that's exactly what they did. And I think that's the reason behind it. There were really two options. This one is a lot swifter. I will say that the, the LCDs are retired on November 12th. An LCD reconsideration of this magnitude would have taken more than a year, I'm sure. So there are some advantages. There isn't precedent. But uh, I think that we were a catalyst in causing this to happen. That's good news. Uh, Penny, maybe you can elaborate then on moving from LCDs, which are going to be going away, to NCD, uh, the National Coverage Determination. Can you give us some thoughts? And actually, when we looked at the criteria for that, my first thought was, oh, maybe we should be really careful about what we ask for. <laughs> uh, and does this apply in this case, or how, how would you uh, recommend our listeners to be able to uh, move in the direction of the NCD? Well, I think you're right on the money, Jay. It's, you know, that wasn't what we asked for when we went in there in July. But as Bill said, you know what, this certainly went a lot faster than what any of us had expected them to come back with. And it certainly wasn't at all what, you know, from a content perspective, what we thought they'd come back with. So I think moving forward, Part of the fear factor is utilizing the NCD or National Coverage Determination, which was drafted in 1984. There is a lot of outdated language in the NCD. The premise of prosthetic device benefit, and I, you know, Bill and I are working on some frequently asked questions so that we can have them posted to both the NHIA and the Aspen website. And many of the questions are really related to some of the outdated language, such as you know, recertification. We haven't done that in years, such as just even the physical descriptions of the PN solution, calling it pre-mixed when they really mean compounded, calling it home mix you know, back in the 70s and 80s when patients mixed their own PN, that doesn't exist anymore. So I think that's where some providers have some concerns, like are we going to end up being at risk if CMS comes back and audits us and for some reason they decide to adhere hope. to something that is outdated within that um, national coverage determination. And what our goal is, is to get with CMS, the medical advisors, and ask if we can assist them moving forward in the process of updating that language so that it is more relevant for today. For providers out there, I think what everyone needs to remember is this still falls under prosthetic device benefit. And what does that mean? That means the problem, the indication, the rationale, the medical necessity for the PN or EN has to be long-term. The language used is long-term indefinite. A lot of people said, can I start using the word indefinite? I would recommend against that. I would stick to what we've said. You know, it's 90 days or longer. That is CMS's definition of permanence. And for, you know, for now, we're stuck with the prosthetic device benefit for both, th both therapies. That's where they land. So that idea that something is broken and it's not going to be fixed anytime soon is really what we need to remember. So documenting length of need, that stays the same being as crystal clear as you can. Does the patient need PN for six months, a year, the rest of their life? 
90 days or longer, or two weeks, that has to be documented. Obviously, if it's two weeks, there's not going to be coverage because that's just not the way the policy is written. When we look now, okay, we don't need all of the the detail, the minutia that was in situations A through H, but you still need the story, the story clearly documented in the medical record that there is something wrong with the GI tract. If you're talking about enteral, it's the structures that allow you to swallow and get food down to the small intestine where nutrients can be absorbed. So that story has to be there within the medical record. It can't be contradictory. There's either something wrong with the esophagus, with the swallowing mechanism, there's a tumor blocking, and it, it isn't going to be fixed you know, anytime in the next 90 days. If you're talking about PN, the dysfunction has to be within the small intestine. There's either motility issues, there's nutrient absorption, there's malabsorption issues, et cetera. So I think that's where people need to stop and think this doesn't open the floodgates for anyone to receive benefits for home PN if they have Medicare. But what it does is hopefully open it up so that nine out of 10 people don't have benefits. Our hope is that, you know, maybe five out of 10 will have benefits now. There's still going to be the patient that has cancer, that has mucositis, and maybe they need PN for six weeks. You know, moving forward, that that type of scenario is still not going to be covered by Medicare. However, if you have a patient with a bowel obstruction due to an ovarian cancer or something like that, and the physician deems that, you know, this is not going to go away, the patient is going to live with this for the rest of their life, then PN will be covered. Whereas in the past, it might not have been if it was a partial obstruction. So I think really fall on two uh, terms you use there, Penny, and that's the medical necessity as well as the story. You know, basically the documentation uh, of the need for the services. I think when we were looking up the criteria for home PN, I think one of the references that helped us out pretty well was a one by uh, Pat Worthington and their group on the appropriate use of parental nutrition. They have a nice section in there on home parental nutrition that uh, we uh, referred to in our recommendations for that. So if the audience is interested in, in getting something that's more up to date and consistent with what the experts at Aspen believe, I think that might be a good place to start for them. Absolutely. And so it sounds uh, to me like uh, we're in it for the long haul and uh, we've got probably more things to do. So this is what I consider to be the first process in, uh, in this and we've got a lot to learn. So Bill, can you give us a, a heads up with regards to where are we going to go next? So what's our next focus with regards to these coverage determinations? Well, the local coverage determinations are being uh, retired, like we said, on November 12th, I think monitoring experience after that date is going to be key. So providers, are they experiencing issues with claims processing after that date? Are they having audits? Are they able to meet the national coverage determination intent of reasonable and necessary without the A through H guide that they're used to using? Still important that they still have medical recommend documentation to support the national coverage determination. Are they doing that? Are claims getting paid timely? And from an audit standpoint, are they auditing appropriately? The DME Max have said they'll look to the reasonable and necessary language in the national coverage determination. The national coverage determination has, has always been there. 
the LCD is is a subset or it's the direction that the MAC puts in place based on the national coverage determination. The language about recertification that Penny mentioned and home mix versus premix has always been there. They haven't audited against it and they say they won't start now. So really it's important to focus on the NCD language for reasonable and necessary and the billing and coding guidance that's been released. When it comes to audits, it's not just the DME Max, but other entities that audit claims submitted to the DME Max. We communicated with Performant, who's the RAC, the recovery audit contractor, and they have active complex reviews for both enteral and parenteral, and they have updated the language in those reviews to say claims prior to November 12th. So they're not going to look at claims post because the criteria has changed. So I think they're doing the right thing there. So monitoring to see what happens next, where the issues are, and ensuring that there's at least as good access as there was prior, if not better. And then the other piece, I think, is updating, seeking changes to that 1984 NCD that is outdated, regardless of whether it's the medical and reasonable and necessary criteria or other outdated language. It does sound like this is a conversation that's just beginning, and we're going to have a lot of conversations as we get feedback, and I think that's going to be important from clinicians and people that are attempting to get coverage for new patients coming out in, after November 12th, of finding out exactly how it is working, where are there gaps, where are there improvements. Uh, we need to keep this conversation going because the one thing that appears to me is we have a dialogue now that we can go back to make some suggestions with regards to what's working or not getting access to enteral and parental nutrition. So with that, uh, I'd like to uh, thank both Bill and Penny. It's my pleasure. And one thing I've learned in the last several months and years we've worked together is that you'll never find any two that have more knowledge or experience and expertise in this area. We've done a great thing so far and made some changes. And I'm looking forward to uh, hearing from you in the, in the future. It's so good to know that we've got the leading experts to be able to help guide us through these changes that have come our way. We also want to thank Quorum CVS Specialty Infusion Services for sponsoring this episode. And as always, we want to thank you for our audience for listening to this Aspen podcast. To support what we do, please share, subscribe, and leave a review over on iTunes and SoundCloud. 